Um, everyone, uh, everyone, please uh, welcome to Manufacturing Hub with me, Dave, and this guy down here, Vlad. We have somehow made it to episode 29, and this week we have a very special guest, David Nichols of Loop. David, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you for Hello. thank you for coming on. Thank you for inviting me. Thanks, uh, thanks for your time, David. So as we always begin, we definitely want to get an introduction out of you. You know, how did you get started in manufacturing? You're running your own company. So very curious to dive into some questions around that. Uh, how did you get to where you are today? Okay, uh, so I will explain to you all of the lucky breaks and uh, hard work and other other combinations of things that, that led me to be here and uh, and, uh, and be doing what I'm doing. So I guess, I guess like I'm the CEO of Loop now, uh, and we've been we we founded the company in 2007, but which is a long time ago now. That's almost 15 years ago. Um, and you know, I I've got some gray hair in my beard, but that's like I'm still pretty young. That was like I think I was 20. I was 25. Um, so how in the hell did that happen? Is is a question I ask myself sometimes. So how it happened was the the sort of the the rough outline of the story was I. I uh, was a controls engineer coming out of college. I went to University of Illinois and they have a, they have a really awesome department. At the time it was called general engineering. Mm -hmm. Now it's called industrial and systems engineering, which is kind of the, I don't know, to me in a good way, kind of like a miss, all the misfits and, you know, other combinations of people hang out there because, you know, controls is, you know, mechanical, electrical software. Each of those departments have their own buildings and colleges. And it's just like, well, what happens if you want to just like mix those together you don't know what you do want to do stuff. at the end of the day, right? You're trying to absorb yeah, all the knowledge. You don't want to pick. You're like, it's like everything, you know, and it turns out controls engineering is, is like hits a lot, checks a lot of those boxes. And anyway, the department's really cool. And I was like, when I, when I was coming up and when I kind of stumbled into that, it was like, I had, I'd had some exposure to software. I was like really interested in software, but also like building things, mechanical things. And the idea that you could like write some software and like hit enter and your code runs and like something happens. That was just like, that hooked me right away. Um, and so being in the, being in the, working with a lot of controls engineers, uh, and kind of having that as a specialty came out, I ended up getting a job for a small company, like a small high-tech automation distributor that was based in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, they were called Pacmation, like shout out to all the Pacmation alumni, because it was maybe 20 people at, in, in those times, 15, 20 people who were all just like now legendary probably. Um, but, uh, <laughs> some of them are out here, um, Anyway, like they would, we were selling stuff like Galil motion controllers and Danaher and TH, you know, rails and gearbox, you know, just typical, you know, I say typical, like that kind of like high tech automation distributor line card, you know, salespeople, but we were, you know, like their, their whole thing was like everybody here who sells as an engineering degree. Like we all like know a ton of stuff. We're like high tech, right. Cause we're doing motion control, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, and so some of that stuff was like working with like a motion controller, like a Galil where it's like SH servo here, like this kind of like two letter scripting thing. And not long into that job, like, again, I was only 25 when, I, when we did this, like they started working with BNR industrial automation, which they came across or kind of came into contact with in the industry as like something that was really cool for them. And, and I was hooked on that stuff right away because you know, all those other products are great. Again, love scripting, love machines, love controls engineering. But then you have this IDE. Well, this looks like a software engineering tool. This, this like not only has ladder, but also has like a C compiler built into it. What this, was it BNR I mean, specifically? You know, because I noticed, I guess at Loop now, you 
value them quite a bit as a as an OEM, right? And you're using BNR products up to this date. And I was, you know, just curious why they had selected at that time BNR specifically as their uh, control system. Well, so I should clarify because our website's not clear enough, but like we're basically, we're the channel partner for them. And, and, and the company I was working for was the distributor for BNR in the Northwest. And it was our job to like sell the product, right? Like we, you know, some companies go to go through uh, market directly. Um, but what was, sorry, um, we were the channel partner, right? We were the distributor. So we were selling BNR, like we were the BNR salespeople for the Northwest Northern California. So I was an apps engineer it was our job to like sell their product in the territory. We would work with them really closely, but like we were their reps, right? So we were selling BNR. So long story short, that company ended up getting acquired by Minerik. They got ended up getting acquired by Command later. Like they kind of went that whole path. But but like that day, that day basically where that acquisition happened, it was like, well, what's going to happen with BNR? Because like I was like super geeking out on BNR, loved the like little tiny bit of business that we had had at that time. And I was like, I'd, you know, this is the idea of like continuing to work with BNR was like way more appealing to me than like just going into this big organization that, you know, was like very different, like culturally than even Pacmation mm -hmm. uh, in terms of their mentality. And I was like, well, and knowing people at BNR, they were like, well, if you want to start something up, like we'll support you and you could, you know, you could be the distributor for us. And again, I, in retrospect, I'm like, how desperate must they have been that they would give the, you know, they'd be like, you know, and maybe they thought like I thought at the time, like, Hey, if this blows up or doesn't work in a year or two, like, I'll just go get a better job. Basically I have nothing to lose. So like, that was how we started the company was, was basically to be a BNR channel, be the BNR distributor for, for the West coast. Um, and it was me and my, my business partner, Carl Robach, who um, still like leads our concept team today. And so like, it's really our job to sell and promote BNR, which is why you see that from us. Like we use it on stuff like, but our clients are often OEMs or clients are people that are using the technology. And we're saying like, we can help you revolutionize things and solve these problems with, you know, BNR is a big component of that because their, their stuff is, their stuff is great. And it's really been, their whole thing has, has been just like really innovative. So, you know, for their whole histories. And that's why we, that's why it was appealing to us in the first place. Gotcha. Before we dive deeper, I guess, into the company operations, I'm curious, you know, what were, well, if you remember, what was your education and controls like at that time? What kind of systems were you taught, you know, in college? Was it, um, you probably know what's, you know, being taught now. So was it different? Was there a lot more emphasis on, you know, some of the older technologies? Again, I graduated 10 years, uh, almost 10 years after you. Uh, so is there a contrast, obviously, not just on the technical side, but also what was being taught? Well, what was being taught at Illinois, and I think probably still is, is, you know, University of Illinois is this like big prestigious engineering research institution. So like the idea that they would even mention a manufacturer name is like unthinkable. Like they don't, we don't talk about many, we're only teach you like equations, you know, like that's, we're going to teach you the fundamentals. Like we're going to teach you like really how does PID work? They're not going to, I didn't know what a Rockwell PLC was when I graduated. I didn't even, I didn't know any of this. I didn't know any, I had zero industry knowledge because that's just like, we're going to teach you the important fundamentals about, you know, digital control, state space controls, mechatronics, like let me tell you what encoder, like I had like a very strong fundamentals, you know, and we were writing C, you know, we were using some stuff like, but we were like writing C code that was on embedded controller, embedded DSPs. Gotcha. You know, there wasn't really a connection to like manufacturing technology or, you know, like all this stuff, about, I, I, I had to learn all this stuff way later, you know, like I, I never even understood that there were like out of the box products that did this stuff, right? Because mm -hmm. it was just like, a lot of that, a lot of those controls engineers and other stuff are like making control systems for fighter jets and stuff. And they're just like, there's not, there aren't suppliers, you know, or like, so no, it was more like more theoretical, 
you know, more, more like, you know, we, you know, we had some like sample stuff, but it was all like very board level and very, very kind of fundamentals about controls and, you know, some really powerful stuff, um, but not, not expressed via any, anything like you have on your wall, you know, the, gotcha. so I guess... I'd never heard of before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. So that, that makes sense. I actually had a, a similar experience. That's why I asked, but um, it, I guess it means that you had to learn or get up to speed pretty quickly at your first uh, employer, you know, just like many people. Yeah. Do. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And when they're like, here's a motion controller, I was like, oh, you can just buy one of these. You don't have to write all the algorithms from scratch. Like we did in our labs. Like, it's like, no, no, this is, you know, this will, this will just solves a practical problem. It's a product, you know, and it, it makes a servo motor run. You know, like it, that was, that was like, I was like, oh, okay, cool. I get it. Like, so we help people make machines and yeah, cool. Yeah. That, that makes sense. Um, and that's how it, that's how I got into it. Just like being just basically geeking out about like how cool this stuff was to work on. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and what, um, what do you guys do at loop today? You know, fast forward those very, I guess, complex 15 years when you got started, what are you guys doing today? What are you working on? What's your maybe main service line that you provide? Yeah. Yeah. So it really, the, the core of the company is unchanged. I mean, we went through a lot of changes, including like renaming the company, rebranding, like, but, mm. but really the essence of this company has been the same from the beginning, which is like really passionate about innovation, revolutionizing things, like bringing new technology to a problem to like unlock some new way of doing things. Like that's really what we're like, that's what's in our hearts. That's what we're excited about. Um, and that's why we were attracted to PNRs, like, cause they kind of have that mentality too. And like people that use that often have that mentality or like, drawn into this for the same reason because you're not using it because it's what other people do clearly like it's like this tiny player <laughs> um you know so why would you use some little austrian controller oh by the way billion dollar revenue but like no one's heard of it right like it's this weird thing so like that's been the passion so i mean I talk about we're coming from a distribution background right and that was like we just copied that business model like oh i guess we sell parts to be engineers and help people like that's how we'll make money because we'll just sell the parts um, and yeah, that's been the core of our company. And then like over the years, you're like helping people like working in all different, you know, on the West coast industries, like semiconductor machines, aerospace equipment, packaging, like wood cutting, metal cutting, water jet cutting, like all these like intense mo- motion, heavy kind of like intense controls, OEM kind of applications where what we were doing with BNR stuff was really valuable to the machines. It was really valuable to like unlocking some new possibilities. Like those were the app those are the opportunities that we found ourselves in or we developed and over the years got really good at developing on BNR. We got really good at being a development team in general for equipment on often like very prototype stuff, right? Like first of its kind of equipment. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's something that like, is it, is a pretty intense process. And we built this team that was like really good at that. So then we kind of like started positioning that and like offering that as like, we also do basically controls development, software integration, often for BNR systems. And so mm-hmm. like, if you think of us as a business for like distributor, like selling parts, like BNR parts mostly, but also like ADB and Boston Dynamics and like a bunch of other stuff that doesn't make it on the website. And gotcha. then like engineering services. So like this, like controls SI. So um, a lot of our, a lot of our projects are control software development, like doing stuff in sprints and like basically project by project helping mostly helping people do like product development. It feels like product development or prototyping. Um, Cause often it's like, how can we, how can we make the first versions product work at all? Like that's really the, the challenge for us. So that's how you can think of us. And then we have like a lot of other weird projects in the works. Like anyway, I, some of them, <laughs> some of them aren't ready. So aren't ready for prime time, but that, if you think about us as a business, that's, that's how we can afford to buy all the cool stuff that we buy. 
But would you say, I guess, like, because motion, I think, like, you know, you've mentioned that a couple of times, but motion, I feel, is a very, uh, I would say, challenging aspect of automation in general, right? Like, even if you do, like, traditional PLC programming, I think you can specialize in motion, and there's guys that have 20, 30 years focusing on that, like, core competency alone. Would you say that that's maybe where you guys add, like, the most value? Because you said that the hardware was maybe above and beyond some of the other platforms, or is it... um, yeah. You know, do you go, do you do a bit of everything? No, you're right to pick up on that. Like one of the, and a couple of things I'll mention. Like one thing that was cool and and kind of like now everybody positions themselves this way. But like early on, like 2004, 2005, BNR was like we have a single platform that's your HMI, your PLC, your motion controller. It's already all integrated together. It all works great together already. You don't have to do any of this like glue. You know, you don't have to stitch all this stuff together. Like um, that was like something that was really cool about it. And they were really strong at motion control right? Like really strong, like not just like the drives, but also like the software elements, mm-hmm. you know, like different CNC being able to like do stuff in the real time control or the PLC side that we're needing these like 20 hours of like intense motion process, like all the big bottlers, like Sidel, KHS, Crohn's, like if you look at those giant turret bottlers, like you open the cabinet and like, you'll find like big racks of orange servo drives, because like the motion control performance and the motion control, like what you can do with that stuff is like really, really awesome. So yes, that's definitely a specialty motion side and then software, you know, bringing software engineering, which is I think why, like why I ended up on a, in a DevOps at theme episode was like bringing software engineering into that context, you know, and this mo- in like in these motion heavy machines is something that we are like, I think are, uh, have some pretty special skill about. Yeah, that's uh, that's very interesting, you know, and I guess I don't have as much of a, I would say I've done motion controls applications, but I don't have maybe the knowledge of the history. So I'd be wondering if, you know, some of these, I would say, like lesser known brands are pioneering some of these applications and then the bigger ones are sort of following suite on the, you know, on the features and how the performance is being driven in the market. I, I'd be very curious to kind of know that. I don't know if you have any answer or um, I guess knowledge of how those uh platforms evolve but that's a it's pretty interesting yeah and it was i mean mo you know i didn't think of it this way because like i kind of came in at at kind of this era but like motion control again i'm coming in right out of school like working with this platform where everything's already integrated together but motion control is always this other thing right like use a motion controller for that like it's not you know it's not a one thing it's not like you put things it's not like the plc the plc to do different things like and then there's these servos over here like and and that was that was more like our legacy or where we had come from, like from the company that we were in, right? Cause we were win like kind of this high tech motion control distributor company. Now I think it's more like these big platforms are just like subsumed motion control into what they do, right? Whether that's Rockwell or Siemens or whoever, they're like, they all have a story about how they're like integrating this as a portion of their machine controls. Right. Like, I mean, I would argue, and obviously, you know, like from my point of view, like BNR has been really, really good at that. And they were like, like decades ahead of like people with that idea. So I think like some of what they do and some of how they've grown and developed all that product and platform in-house is really, you can see it like in the product, like it it really makes a difference. Um, It's not like a, it's not like it's been stitched together. You know, Mm -hmm. it's been, it's been really thought of from the ground up to work, work well together. And again, there's a lot of performance and other things that come from that, that are really important, you know, and and where people appreciate it, like there's really loyal BNR customers, you know, for that. That makes sense. Mm. Uh, I, I definitely, you know, should do a bit more research on BNR personally. Like, I, as you said, I've seen them in uh, very large machines, uh, fillers, mm-hmm. packers. So yeah, 
something, um, I guess, to pay more attention to. But uh, Dave, I want to give you an opportunity also to ask a question before we get too technical and go on this like very controls heavy tangent. <laughs> no, you guys no, no. drive. I'll go wherever you want to go. You want me to so, ask a question? Or No, you, Dave. Sorry, I'm Dave too. Sorry. Uh, no, we um, have this issue at, at Loop as well. There's several of us. Go ahead, man. It, it happens. It happens. No. So I, I think that it's a very interesting journey that you were describing um, with, with the Loop team, with BNR. I guess kind of some of my first earliest memories of BNR, you know, 2010, 2011-ish, they were kind of the strange Austrian controls group that, as you mentioned, billion-dollar revenue that no one knows about. I, I know that we talk to a lot of people, and I think that we work, and there are a lot of people that watch, of smaller companies kind of looking to bring their product into market. So how can you kind of describe the process that you went or maybe you and BNR went to go and kind of bring knowledge, uh, bring, bring, oh, can you kind of describe what the process looks like? Yeah. Like how uh, do you bring uh, something like that into, yeah, so into like a marketplace how, where yes, no one's heard of you? Exactly. Right. I mean, I think I was, it's really, really not easy, first of all, like, and, and also I would say even today, like I, I'm not uh, really holding, I don't hold back much criticism about BNR, even being able to like describe what they do and what they're about. Because again, mm -hmm. when we talked the other day, it was like, are they just like a new inexpensive player compared to the incumbents? And you're like, no, they're like actually the most badass in terms of performance anywhere. Like that's, that's why we like it. Right. So yep. it's like, I was basically like my attitude back in that day was back at that time. And still was just like, I don't care if nobody's heard of it. First mm -hmm. of all, like I know what's, I can see what's possible with this stuff and I'm excited about it. Right. Like I'm an evangelist in that sense. Like I'm a believer in it in that way. And like, it might take a really long time and you know, we've been at it for a long time and we've got a lot more work to do, but like, that was like, first and foremost, like this stuff is revolutionary. Like, and when we would talk to people like now, now I'm much better at describing that now I'm much better at explaining that now I'm much better at understanding when I'm talking to people, like I might be excited about how we could revolutionize their machine, but that's not their attitude or mentality. Like that's not, that's not even why their company is successful. It's for some other reasons, right? Like, which is fine. Back then I was like, it's wrong that people don't use the best stuff, you know, it's way more, <laughs> way more fire breathing, way more evangelical. So like, but the point would be like, really like, so to more directly answer your question, really being clear about what is the purpose? What are you about? why, who's the right, who's the right fit for you as a company and really being like super clear about it because there's an element where you could say like, well, anybody who's ever bought a PLC should be a BNR customer. And there's people that, that are at BNR that I have arguments with about where they're like, that's true sort of it, you know, technically maybe, but like, it's not for everybody, you know? And the reason that that's a problem is because like, if it's, if that's the way you're positioning yourself, then like, it doesn't, you don't really know who it's for the people that really the people where it's really a solid fit and like where nothing else would do it. Like they don't, they don't hear that. I don't understand it. So like, if you look at loop now, we talk about like revolution, we talk about innovation. Like, that's just like, that's what it's about for us. If that's what, if that's what you're about, like all in, like we're all in, it's a fit people that see that just out of the corner, they're either like, yes, that's what I want. And cause we're really clear about it. But if we were like, yeah, if also you have some kind of average or, you know, like if it's just whatever, we'll do it. Or like, you're trying to do it because of cost reasons, like, okay, that, that's valid, but like, that's not why we're here. So like, I would just say like being really clear about your purpose and, and who you are and what, what, who your product's for. Like, honestly, that that's the part that's really hard to do. Cause I feel like people, when people, they feel like they're leaving out parts of the market, they're limiting the parts of market that they would address, right. but 
actually the opposite is true. Like you need to just like hammer on what you're about and yeah, then go take over that other stuff later. But like, it needs to be really clear what you stand for. Right. And so I saw that with BNR and now I can actually say it more clearly. And now I'm like, I can hold that up and be like, this is who it's for. Yep. And then, then it's obvious, right. Then it's like, it's not even, there's no convincing to do. Cause like the people that are into it are like drawn in like a magnet versus, yep. you know, running over and chasing, chasing all over the place or trying to pound on cold calls and get into places that don't want to talk to you. Right. Absolutely. Cause like, it'd be like, who are you? Don't know. Who's your product. Don't know who's, you know, you're like, tr- tr- but trust me, it's so good. It's better than anything. And it's just like, it's, it's, it's really hard um, to, that's, that's a hard way to go. No, I, I love that. And, and you made a comment um, and I think it's the number one thing that resonated with me on your website is, you know, you guys founded the loop uh, to start a revolution. Can we, can you tell, tell us a little bit about the thought process of that, as well as, you know, some of the tools that you guys are using to create this revolution? Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, a big theme. So one of the parts of the story I left off as far as like when we started loop was like the context of that was like, I graduated college. I moved to San Francisco. So I was living in the Bay area. I lived in the Bay area for 10 years. I, I didn't just live in the Bay area. I lived in the middle of San Francisco for 10 years. Um, like during the founding of the company. And like, if you were, you know, to be in there from like 2005 until, until 2015, like if you, if you just like go down, if you just like, never mind automation, never mind anything. If you just like look at the companies that were founded and you look at what happened there at that time, it's like mind boggling, right? Like Facebook didn't exist like when I moved there. And then you're just like looking around me like, wow, it looks like there's some really powerful, amazing technology around here, which is all like software industry. It's the internet. It's like all it's like, you know, at the time cutting edge, but like really, really powerful, impactful stuff about like, wow, this is really amazing. Like this can really change things. Um, and kind of like just soaking that all up. I mean, we were still like here working on our little machine, our little backwater of automation, like just working on machines that we thought were cool while these like, you know, trillion dollar companies were sprouting up. But like, we were just like soaking all that stuff up about like, oh, there's techniques that these companies use, like almost as survival techniques, mm-hmm. or there's just like really powerful tools that they've come up with. They're like, you know, user interfaces are made out of HTML and JavaScript and CSS that's like being invented. And there's like billions and trillions of dollars being poured into the development of that technology. And you're like, and it's just sitting around and it's basically free. Yep. Right. And it's just like, how come, you know, so like a big observation or sort of like you're sitting here being like, am I taking crazy pills? It's like, <laughs> I see the obvious application of all this technology into these industries because we like this industry. We love this industry. We want to be, you know, we want to make machines. This is the stuff that we're like really passionate about, but like, how do we get all this stuff into, into machines? So like, there's lots of examples of that, you know, um, you know, software engineering is an example, like, you know, BNR stuff is an example of that in many ways, because it's very software inspired. Um, there's just, you know, techniques and how you think about engineering, how you think about development, how you think about like the fact that you're developing software, right? Like that's, that's a, a thing that I think is still a debate, you know, among a lot of equipment builders or PLC people. It's like, is it software? Are you a software engineer? If you program PLCs, like, I think the most like biggest flame war I ever started was when I asked that question <laughs> on LinkedIn and there's just like 20,000 people like arguing about whether it's true or not. It's like, give me a break. <laughs> Well, let me ask you this. So I, I guess, like, does that the, make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely agree with you. But I, you know, I want to maybe <laughs> get some, I would say, like less obvious benefits of DevOps in control systems specifically, right? So again, let's uh, take some very basic examples of, let's say, improving productivity, reducing time of development, yeah, whatever. But what do you like? Are you collaborating more? Do you see, let's say, more applications engineers working on the same 
program that otherwise wouldn't be possible? Are you seeing, yes. I don't know, like remote access being facilitated and you're, I don't know, like you're sending your files to GitHub so that actually prevents more loss of downtime. Like, are you, yeah. I guess, like driving towards all those like actual solutions? Yeah, and in fact, I I feel like um, recently kind of emerged from this like evolutionary, like this like lost evolutionary chain that we've been off of here, like kind of on our own. And then we come back and we were like, so everybody uses Git, right? And they're like, what? No one knows what I'm talking about? Like, literally no one? Like, mm -hmm. um, so just to give example, talk about DevOps, like I went, I was asking somebody on my team, like getting ready to talk to you guys about this. And I was like, when did we, when did we start the company GitHub account? And it was in 2011, which is 11 years ago, right? Like, and it's like, yeah, okay. Because again, at the time, and even today, an automation studio project is a bunch of text files in a folder structure. It's not XML. It's not a bunch of weird binaries. Like it looks exactly like Git would expect it to because it's a piece of software, right? right. Any project, right? And we were like, yeah, cool. Just throw it in. You know, we had used SVN or whatever. Like we definitely should GitHub. So that was like 2011. And we're like, this seems important and we need to get into this. And like, yeah, it turns out like today, if we, if you took, like, we would die if you took that tool away. Right. So first of all, that's like how productive, how important is it? Like, or what's the productivity um, to give some like nuts and bolts examples. Like we have project and, and okay. A couple more points of statistics. We have a client project net right now that has 9,000 commits in it. Uh, oh. In just in terms of like, and that's like over the last handful of years, there have been mm -hmm. 9,000 change sets made to that piece of software for one to few machines that we're working on, right? And uh, our company, like internal libraries, like our loop internal libraries project where we develop like a lot of the shared libraries that we use has 5,000 commits in it. of just like shared code, shared libraries. We made an error collector system. We made a state management system. We made an alarm system that like are, on, like are in most of the projects that we work on, like have, have depends, use those libraries. We would never touch that again. And those those sets of libraries are so battle hardened that like they've seen they're like they've seen everything, right? Like they've had like 10 of 10 of our best people for a decade, like honing like what exactly should happen when like how, how should a piece of application code throw an error and then record it and then catch the response and then do the recovery. Like every single one of those pieces that are like fundamental patterns in machine design, like we have like thousands of commits against, and we use that every time. So it's just like, we, we lever so hard on that. Um, and I was, you know, when I was watching the episode from a week ago or so, it's like, yeah, even in the same facility, different programmers have different styles, all different. Like it's like PLC programming, even when I, even when I did it, or even when I was coming up was still a, basically a one man show every machine. And if you needed to work, have two people work on it, often you're like, let's split the machine into two PLCs so that they don't go on top of each other because otherwise like their commits would interfere. We need to, we need right. to have this checkout process. Like nowadays when we're working on stuff, like we can have five people contributing to the same part of the code on the same PLC at the same time. And it's no problem. Like that's what Git was built for. So I guess to talk a little bit more about that, like we also use a lot of simulators, like BNR has like an insanely good simulator, including like motion and networking and like all this stuff you just run on your laptop. Mm -hmm. And so we would have like five people working on, on one machine before us, the mechanical design was even finished. Right. Because like 
typical process, like mechanical team works on it, electrical team works on it. Then they throw it to the software team. These two teams have already blown their dates and you have two weeks to ship it, writing the code on site. Like, tell me if you've heard that. Like, that's like basically standard practice as far as I've seen it, even, yep. even among us. And we're like, we need to, and if you want to have equipment that's like sophisticated in terms of software, like leaning really heavily on software, like you can't afford to do a heavy, intense software project, like under the gun with two weeks to go. You just, it's just impossible. So you gotta like start early, work on all this stuff in the simulators with five people on at the same time. So that finally, when the electrical team's finished and you're ready for checkout, throw the software on it, ship it, right? Like that's basically like, it happens every single time. Like how does nobody notice the pattern? I mean, hopefully so, there's a couple anyway. of days to test it, but yeah, that's definitely. Yeah, but I mean, the two weeks they give you after they blow their dates, you know, yeah. then you can, then you, you obviously still got to test it. And again, I'm not, there's, there's plenty to do during commissioning too, but like, it, there's a lot more to do if you show up with blank, with nothing, yep. you know, did I, so, I don't know, did I answer the DevOps question though? Cause like so much of DevOps is like the tools that enable that kind of collaboration, right? Like yes. get build build servers like i we could talk i could talk more specifically but that's that's why like it's it's more it's more of a survival technique than like an roi kind of thing for us no absolutely so i i love that i'd like to get a little bit further into that but you know it feels like you're almost talking to you know the enlightened people of we should absolutely <laughs> lose use devops tools so what would you say to kind of all of those people out there that have never considered Git, never considered having multiple engineers working on a project, never consider starting PLC programming until the thing is built and you've got eight whole days in order to program the entire system and check out before we need to run live? What 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 is your thoughts to uh, to them? Well. I, I want to be really careful and I'll, I'll give a shout out to, to Bradley who may be watching that he's, he's given me feedback and keeping me on track when he's basically like, be careful about the us versus them. Yeah. Be careful about coming across as like being arrogant because you have some futuristic <laughs> techniques Just be like, okay, but like, seriously, there's a really valuable, like, um, and not even like I'm doing it better because I also know what it's like to like live on site mm -hmm. on the folding table or like if you're lucky and not putting your laptop on a trash can so that you can get the thing to ship or, you know, you had to fly back there every, I, 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 so been there, like know that, right? Like this isn't some like, uh, you know, fancy kind of way of operating. Um, and so I think it's just about, there are ways, and a, a lot of our motivation came from just like, there are ways to to be more humane, to like to have it be less crazy, to have it to be less intense. Like there's so many people that are rightfully proud that they'll be like, I'll go live on site for eight weeks straight to make it happen. And they do it. And like, it's amazing that they can do that. Right. But there's a lot of, in my opinion, kind of like unnecessary suffering that is, that's taking place when it's like, it's all on that one person. They're away from their family. They're working 60, 80 hour weeks. It's like, if there could, if two people could work on that PLC at the same time, like what's that going to do to the workload? Yep. Right. Like what's that going to do to, to the experience? Like what's that going to do to people's career trajectory in terms of like, not everybody can do that. And not everybody could, can or should suffer to that degree, either because they don't have the ability or it's just ridiculous. I'd be like, I'll go do something else. Yep. I don't need to do this. Right. Like, so it's like, but again, I, I don't know, like, uh, the, and the puzzle is kind of like culturally, where does it come from? Like, I'd look at these other, I'd, again, I'm looking over at these other companies, like, wow, they're shipping 10,000 updates to their sites per day, or they're shipping like, they're even, sh just, never mind 10,000 per day, they're shipping updates to their code base every day. How in the hell do you do that? Like, we would work for nine months to get one really to get one release going, because they're like, that's, you know, you only get one shot at it. 
right? Like, and these are things where it's just like, it's really valuable to customers. It's really valuable to the end users to be like, oh yeah, let me just tap, tap, tap. You got a bug fix? Like, oh yeah, I can see that reproduced in my simulator. Let me make a quick commit here, hit that. It goes out to the machine. It's like, I didn't have to get on an airplane. You know, if it doesn't work, I'll, you know, if it doesn't work or we screwed it up, we'll, we'll roll it back or we'll do another commit to, to fix it. Like, these are things that customers really appreciate, right? And again, it's not to take anything away from the road warriors that are just like, I'm, I'll fly in there tomorrow and I'll fix it, you know? Cause that's like, I have a ton of respect for that too. It's just like, do we need to do that every time? Like, is that, is that really necessary? Like, or, you know, what about, what about being at home? Like, what about being, seeing your family? Like that's yeah. pretty valuable too. So that's- I would say, you know, to your point, there's a lot less people who are quote unquote road warriors versus the ones who are burnt out, you know, by the industry yeah. and that kind of a lifestyle. I think we're certainly not uh, doing a great service to, I would say, younger engineers who are looking to get into manufacturing that quickly realize how difficult it really is, you know, from like a, a travel standpoint, from a, I would say like pressure. And again, you do have those very tight, I would say, uh, timelines where you do have to make sure that everything's working. So by just giving them the ability to um, not only test, but I guess like develop beforehand in a, yeah. I would say logical manner is is a big opportunity to change the industry. And I, I really like, you know, like you've mentioned a lot of companies in the Silicon Valley earlier on, I think, you know, for better or for worse, because there, there's also, also a debate to be had if they change the, uh, the aspects in a good or bad way, but that, that's a that's a separate discussion. But I think they certainly changed the world uh, from what it was at that point in time, right? Like that's well, say. I'd say the it's the 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 cause and effect, you know, on the world is 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 still up for debate. But like the degree to which they have refined the practice mm -hmm. of software engineering is mm -hmm. unquestionable. Like yep. just like they're doing it at such a high level, like. I was joking with Dave. I was like, some of these techniques, it's like so hard to be, to see the difference in the dynamics to have kind of like a foot in both worlds, because you're like, if you didn't use these techniques in a job in software engineering, like you would lose your job, like right away, like you would be fired. Right. I like, think if and you it's were like, asked, so hard. if you know what Git is at an interview and you <laughs> said like, I have no idea, then like there's almost get, like you, a zero chance. <laughs> right. Yeah. So you run software engineering it, it, and you have 20, it's just like, again, it's like hard to say that without being like, people feel like defensive or critical about it. It's yeah. just like, it's really important or really valuable. Like it's really, it's really a great tool. And again, I, again, it doesn't yeah. take anything away from somebody's ability to like get on an airplane and go knock out a problem. I know that feeling. Cause I've done it. Like I've, drive four five hours to the customer sit down be like what's the problem they're like it does this i was like oh you need to change this 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 and this and then like 30 minutes later i'm back in my car driving home i'm like no one else could have figured that out in the world right like that feeling that like adrenaline of that is like so amazing right but it's like also i sat in my car for nine hours you know yep. so that i could do that so again it's uh yeah the the teamwork aspects the humane humanity aspects and just like if you're really thinking of it like a CEO, even if you're like super cold blooded about it, you're like, get the product to market faster, respond to customer requirements faster. You know, this kind of like turning and being agile to be able to like do better than your competitors in terms of being more competitive in the marketplace. Like these DevOps tools were created to allow that, right? They're created to make that possible. Yep. Um, so that's another motivation. No, absolutely. And, and to your point, David, and, and what Vlad was talking about, Mike, I feel my first foray into, you know, DevOps and software engineering was how can we potentially bring the next generation of engineers in? How can we get yeah. through the 
through the issue of you're going to bring in a really bright engineer. They're going to be interested in the industry. You're going to put them on the road 60, 78 hours a week, four out of five weeks or five out of 10 weeks, or I guess, five, you know, nine out of 10 weeks. And then six months later, they're going to be gone and they're going to go somewhere else. And we lose entire, you know, generations of talent because they're not interested in grinding it out. And that was even before COVID. And now with COVID, yeah. you know, many of us can't go on customer sites, right? right. It's a, right. we have to find ways to do this remotely. So I think that this is going to continue to be a bigger push. And to your point, why don't we start from, why don't we start, why don't we build libraries? Why don't we build reusable libraries? I think that the people who agree with us are going to be shaking their heads yes. And the there will be many other people who would shake their head absolutely no. I had one of those conversations um, earlier in the week that they love finding new ways to build. Uh, similar yeah. things. And yeah, it, it's yeah. a different challenge. It's it's a different challenge to build something that's absolutely bulletproof and use it a thousand times as it is to build something incrementally better, you know, yeah. a dozen times. And, and I think that that those are all th those are, you know, two sides of the same coin that we must uh, look at moving forward. And one point I want to make on teamwork too, like one of the things that we talk about at loop, because we have like some incredibly skilled people on our team, like, um, and here's a rule that we have about it is like, there's nobody that's so good that their code doesn't get reviewed, mm -hmm. right? Like there's nobody that's so good that like, and, and some of our like most, like some of the best like automation software engineering people in the world that are on our team, I'd be like, yeah. you need to run that by so-and-so. And like when they get together, like every single time it's better. Yep. Right. Like, and so it's just like, that's another argument. It'd be like, it's not taking anything away from somebody's ability to be like, if you talk to somebody else, even if they're junior, even if they're like, because a lot of times juniors are like, this seems, this doesn't make any sense to me why you did this. And you're like, oh, right. Like, uh, I'm the mastermind here, but like my code just got better because the junior engineer, like noticed something obvious and asked a stupid question mm -hmm. we, because we were doing code review. Right. And where does yep. code review come from? It comes from, it comes from the practice of software engineering, because again, in software engineering, like it's more, but it's, it's really about survival, right? They're building things that are so complex. Like, how do we even do this and not die? Like, that's what most of these tools come from, or most of these techniques come from. And I feel like there's the same kind of benefit. How do we, how do we bring that? How do we bring that to, to automation? It's really, really uh, important. Yeah, no, I, I would, I would certainly agree. We have a, we have a good uh, question as well as a comment in the chat. So Chris said that he's streaming this on his flight right now. So I'm assuming he's either going <laughs> nice. to or flying from an automation site. And I mean, again, that's the reality, right? Like, as we said, you get these many, many hours on site and then you quote unquote relax on the, on the flight back home or whatever. You must whatever. be going too, because you never get to leave, right? So you must be it's on the Wednesday. Way yeah, go, <laughs> go, go ahead, Vlad, sorry. And, and then the question is, so it's an awesome invention, but what about vulnerability to attack? And I'm guessing like this is more pertaining to cybersecurity. Like what are your thoughts on, you know, as we move forward with, with uh, some of these tools, do you think that the manufacturing industry in general is ready to the, for the cybersecurity risks? And maybe like, how do you, does your team handle those potential attacks? Because as you know, there have been multiple customer sites that have been hacked, I think in the last, like as, as recent as like a few months. And uh, there's also, I would yeah. say published or very known vulnerabilities in some of these manufacturing platforms that have not been, I would say like patched. So maybe it's moving a little bit slower than, you know, the traditional software industry. So I'm curious what, what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I mean, we're, 
I mean, it's kind of a rhetorical question, but it's like, where do you feel safer in a place where they can ship an update and it's on every device within 24 hours or a place mm -hmm. where something will never get updated because nobody knows what's on it. Nobody can touch it. It's been nine months since it's ever seen a software update. Like those are the places that are just sitting ducks, frankly. I mean, I, I feel like in terms of like speed, speed and agility and, you know, these, these tools are actually security enhancing. Um, because again, the same, you know, same thing happened this week with, with, uh, was it 14.8 with, with iOS where it's like, Hey, this exploit went out and it's like update done. Right. Yep. Like that does not happen with PLCs. Right. And it, it, you know, that's, that's because of the limitations of a lot of these systems that were never, that were never meant or, you know, they're not just the technical limitations they are also cultural and, and the way that they, the way that, that things are administered, like it's impossible to update them. Right. right. And so like, I feel like security comes from like having, you know, having as good of an understanding of like the best and, you know, having the, all the bug fixes and all the security fixes. Like if you use tools like node, you know, and again, there's a lot of node red people out there in the PLC world, you know, and you do like NPM check-in, whatever it's like, there's five security vulnerabilities in the dependencies that you have, or do you want us to update to the latest? Yes. Right. Like when is, there's nothing like that in the PLC world, right? There's like, right. oh, we're on, you know, we're on version 16 you know, and we can't go to 18 because this hardware, you know, it's just like, it, it, so yeah, I, I would, I would, I would make the strong argument that systems that can get updated frequently are going to be in a better position to, to be hardened and have the latest stuff. Cause yeah, those attacks are, those attacks are coming and, yeah. and they're, you know, the, the, the stuff that's just sitting there and not having been updated for two, three years is stuff that's most vulnerable. Yeah, Absolutely. I think it's going to be interesting to see if there's going to be maybe jobs in the controls that will tie into like more cybersecurity type of an area. Uh, Dave, mm -hmm. what do you what do you think? I was going to say I, I completely agree. And to kind of the earlier points, the entire world runs on software, and the entirety of software engineering runs on Git. You know, Git is built and pushes. I would imagine every single you know major update of every single device people are currently watching us on. So the inherent vulnerabilities I would imagine are reduced and kind of spread throughout the entirety of, you know, software engineering and the fact that more eyes and probably the best paid eyes in the world are going to be watching these vulnerabilities are going to provide automation and the manufacturing world a, a better series of lines of defenses in addition to being able to push with, uh, with known vulnerabilities. As, uh, as David was talking about. And I, I do want to get into a little bit of Agile. I want to talk about the ship in six that these yes. guys at Loop have, have recently gone out. But first, I have an ad read to do, Vlad. Uh, can you give me the same awkward laugh you gave me last time when I asked uh, for a sound? <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Thank so you. So sweet. <laughs> That, that, that's our new ad read sound. It was it was ad hoc last week, uh, but no. So uh, so DevOps <coughs> and industrial automation is brought to us by Copy Automation. They deliver modern developer tools for industrial automation. Uh, let us know if this sounds familiar to you know the last two hours that we've been talking with with David and Adam before. So this is built for automation and controls engineers. And Copia's flagship offering provides Git-based source control for PLC programming. Functionality is going to include version control, change visibility, and collaboration designed to streamline how industrial machines are commissioned and operated, resulting in faster delivery and maximized uptime. And if you guys are watching this live or listening on the podcast, there will be a link where you guys can go ahead and check out their, their free trial offering. They've got a really quick onboard time. If the stuff we have talked about is not something you are currently using, you should, uh, you should check that out. Perfect. Thank you. And so 
I want to talk about the ship in six mantra that you guys use, David, and how that relates to agile software development and how that kind of relates to everything we've been talking about. So can you tell us about your ship in six mantra and what it is for you guys, please? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess just a little, little point of history. Um, and again, back to sort of, I, I, I've been at the folding table, my laptop's been on the trash can, like I've worked on multi-thousand hour fixed bid control software development projects, uh, plenty of them. Um, and what I noticed about them from trying to specify them, like usually with like 50 page word documents that have uh -huh. eight levels of headings. I'm sorry if you're writing one of those or reading one of those right now, if you're out there, um, was that it was like really, really difficult to uh, build new things via that method where you take that spec, you put this, you know, big, you know, big multi-month chunk of, you know, fixed, we will definitely deliver exactly what you, definitely what this says by this day for this amount of money. And then getting two week, two or three weeks in and realizing, oh, now that we're building it, we notice this. Now that we're building it, we notice that actually a lot of the premises and assumptions about this are wrong. It's a good, you know, and there's no amount of like doubling or safety factor that can really protect against the downside of like what it feels like when you're in those projects that turn into death, death march. Death. Yep. And again, I, everybody's nodding their head because they're like, yep, 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 been there, been there, been there. And so one of the, one of the things that I found really frustrating or you'd hear people talk about it be like, we built them exactly what they asked for in the specification. Now they want something different. It's like, yes, because now it's obvious what it should be based on what we learned from building it. And that's a valid way to feel. Right? It's a valid way to be like, oh no, no, now I see. Like we need to try these things because we need we needed to work with the prototype to learn that, right? And so instead of having this kind of head in the sand mentality of like, let's try to make a fixed bid project that's going to incorporate all that uncertainty, like let's build it step by step, like let's build it, you know, bit by bit. Like let's we know, you know, we kind of got the big idea in mind. Let's build the first piece. What do we think of it? Okay, like, do we need to build that again or do we need to come back? Again, I'm just basically, again, aping things that are just completely understood as common practice in software engineering because um, they know like building step-by-step -step is, a, is a good way to like build the, the correct product, number one, the correct product is built in actually the least amount of time without that kind of suffering and change order and all that other bullshit and suffering that uh, goes along with that. Like it works really well. Like it works really well to build things that way. And, and we knew that from building things other ways. Uh, and I, I want to give, I want to give uh, some appreciation to some of the first people where we ever said, we're going to, we kind of want to make this and we you know, we're just going to be fixed time, like six weeks, exactly six weeks. We're kind of going to get into it and then we're going to get out and then we're going to have, the, and we're not promising what we're delivering at the end. And they were like, so you're, we're promising to give you this much money and you're not, you know, like the, the scope is flexible. You're like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, it turns out that's uh -huh. actually a really good way to do it. Yeah. Like, and there's a lot of like foundation and research and practice of people that have been building sophisticated things in this way. Mm -hmm. A lot of software is built in this way. And so we sort of took that and thought about how can we apply that to automation? And, mm -hmm. you know, we had talked about Basecamp and, and Basecamp has been a big, you know, inspiration of our company in terms of like their their thought around process and how, how are things built? How should your company work? And Ryan Singer wrote a book, you know, he started to think about, he started to extract, like, how do they build things at Basecamp? And he extracted that into basically this series of videos and a book called Shape Up, where he talked about, like, they build things in six-week sprints. And they, there's, a lot of there's a lot of interesting details. And, like, it's related to agile software development. That's another, like, if you're unfamiliar with any of these kind of like iterative processes, like agile is also a great place to start and great place to get involved. There's a lot of like knowledge out there and like just training that you can get about like how to do this. Um, and that that's 
we, we, you know, we sort of started to sort of inch our way over and at a certain point just like made the full shift. We're going to do everything this way because of how well it works, both for us and for our customers and the people that we work with. David, could um, you maybe give a little yeah. bit more context on what uh, Basecamp is for those who are not familiar with the process? Sure. Basecamp is a company that used to be called 37 Signals. They made these web tools. They're one of these web 2.0 companies. Very, and like what I would, what I would highlight is they're, they were very like, they had like a kind of like a rock and roll kind of attitude. Like a big part of their marketing was them just like talking smack about everything, about like how companies should be run. And that was really inspiring to me. They built like as a company, a project management software called Basecamp that like helps people do this kind of thing. But like what I was always like taking from them was more of like, inspirational, philosophical, like, here's how you should run a company. Here's how you should develop product. They would use that to market their own products. Right. And so uh, we use some of their stuff over the years, but basically like they were big, they, they did a lot of this like content marketing, like having a point of view and like being really opinionated about everything and, and kind of inserting themselves and stuff in that way, which again, was often very, very awesome of them to do. Um, so that's, that's kind of the, that's my note card for Basecamp. Um, the guy that invented rails was the technical co-founder there and Jason Fried was the CEO. Um, and yeah, they've, they've gotten into some trouble recently that I wasn't too happy about, but anyway, like they're, they're, they're a cool company. They were a big inspiration for a long time. Um, and yeah, we, we, we took that model and from, from Ryan Singer and, and like basically outright lovingly stole it and, and kind of modified it to a client service context about how can we help, how can we bring this kind of, we do everything with sprints to, you know, and work on behalf of our clients. And there's some complexities and differences about how it works versus doing internal development, but um, it's really powerful. And so much so that, that like the controls integrator within loop, we actually named it ship and six because like the process is so important to what we do. No, absolutely. I love that. I remember the first time that I transitioned to, to running a project with uh, that agile framework and um, give a shout out to John, who is almost certainly not listening, but John like sat down and explained it to me and he explained it to me and he answered all of my ridiculous questions <laughs> about like, what is an epic and how do we define this? And we, we went through it and I'm like, John, why haven't I been doing this my entire life? And so for me, it was one of those, we should always use some sort of format in this for exactly the same reasons uh, you, you described, David. It, it significantly reduces kind of stress of a 2000 hour fixed bid project, or we're going to commit to delivering this in 18 months when you know going in that you're a multiple of what you think the thing's going to cost because you have no idea what this monster is going to turn into. And yeah. no one in the company knows how to say no, or you bid it super lean because you know, you're going to make all of your money on change orders, which for me never sat right with how, with the type of projects I like to do. So picking a period of time, whether it be six weeks or a series of, you know, one week sprints and putting the people that you need to be able to, um, to have the staff so you can actually deliver a project and it has usable and value. It has you, it is useful and has yes. value yes. is, 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 is the step. most, yeah. yes, is the most important thing to me. And so I've done it in a variety of flavors, but it's always good to hear people talking about agile. And I know there are a couple of integrators that kind of work in that form, fashion and function, but I, to your point, I, I feel like more of us need to do it. I, I don't want to say it should always 100% be the industry standard. I, I don't, I have never seen a waterfall project work well when you compare it to how we could have built it in, in Agile. And again, it's, it's delicate because it's like, I, I can, I can sort of already hear some of the reaction because I, you know, and, and the kind of, there's reasons that it needs to be done that way, which I respect. And like, 
and where there's possibilities or where, where there's exploration or where it's like, try it sometime, try it for a piece, yep. try it, try wherever you are in that process of learning about it. If it's curious or interesting to you, or you notice any sort of symptoms that we're talking about, like mm-hmm. just try it out on some side project, try it out on some, like we tried it out on some stuff where like, it was really obvious where it was like, it was totally experimental what needed mm-hmm. to get done. So mm-hmm. it was not possible to make a spec for it. You're like, good, yeah. try sprint, try sprint there. Cause you yep. know, no one will blame you for not being able to specify the, you know, like it was and and where we got our start on that was like really experimental stuff where like, we kind of want to make this, we want to work on it for six weeks and then we'll come back and give you a demo. Yep. Like, and that was like easy to, you know, that, that was a natural fit for that kind yep. of uh, project structure, but it, it works well as you kind of get some skill set around that. It's, it's not easy to do. There's a lot about scoping and, and like how, how much to take on. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's a tricky practice to learn, but it's really, really valuable and, and, and really a lot of fun. And, and, one thing I'll note too, like it, that I realized recently was like a six week sprint, two week sprint, it really limits the downside on both. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Cause the project blows up, it's done in six weeks. Right. Mm-hmm. And you're like, everybody's just, you step on a landmine, no one saw it coming. Like all you lose is six weeks, right. Whether that's the client, whether that's you and you're out, you're like, Hey, look, no hard feelings yep. projects done. Like we can either reset or we can just go ways, but like most, that's the longest death march you would have. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is like, and that's protection to both sides. Yep. No, I like that absolutely. approach. Uh, yeah. So, so I typically do a lot of assessments and those things of upfront work to get a better idea of what the scope looks like before yeah. going into implementation. Oh, totally. To, That's to super important. Maybe yep. more important. Right? Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. Th- 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 those are all lessons that are hard learned, and uh, m- many sleepless nights, lots of hair pulled. Hopefully, <laughs> not nearly as many. You know, nine-hour drives one way to get on a customer site for a thirty-minute fix to turn around and drive back nine hours to uh, to bring it back to the beginning. But these yep. are all kind of hard-fought lessons, but they will, in the end, save you a lot of time and make your end users much happier. And yep. probably you're gonna upset less controls engineers that will up and leave because they don't want to deal with the customer. You know, month eighteen of a six-week project. And all the, all the best controls engineers will want to come work for your company because uh, you don't abuse them in that way, which is, you know, if you can't make a good business out of that, I don't, I don't know what to do. Yeah, absolutely. So I've got one more question before we start to wrap up and I apologize because it's been such a great conversation and we will undoubtedly go over on time as we do nearly every week uh, as, as Vlad will, will attest, but can, can we talk a little bit about brand? So you mentioned that you guys have spent a bunch of time branding loop as who you are. And I think over the last four or five years, that is kind of when you and I connected. And it's one of the first things that I kind of realized from you. And as I alluded to in the beginning, you've probably spent an insane amount of money through your unboxing videos. But can you tell us about the process of you guys going through branding and uh, getting me to spend a lot of money on the stuff you've unboxed? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I'd i say like other more company history, like we took a really hard, like we were really ambitious and we really cared a lot about what we were doing. We were passionate. So we're like, I guess if we want to grow sales, we need to like take this like intensely heavy sales approach. Mm-hmm. And we invested a ton in that. Like, and the, the people that we were, that I was working with at the time, uh, still one of my favorite people ever love this guy, but like we were, we were going at, we were going into, we had nothing like in terms of the communication assets, right? Like I have a totally different understanding now of like, what, what is the job of sales versus like marketing at the time? Like there was no, all these things that I'm talking about, about like, articulating ideas about innovation and revolution. Like we didn't have any of that dialed at that time. We would just go in and we would just like freestyle talk in a conference room for two hours. And people would be like, what did those guys, what were those guys talking about? Like, I don't know, but they were really enthusiastic. Like um, that was all we had at that time. And then like working a bit with professional communicators, they, 
And, and I got to give a shout out to Kinesis who I love and they've helped us rebrand the company. They've taught us so much, almost everything we know about marketing and branding. They took all those ideas and like crystallize into one word, or they can take that in crystallize into a set of core values. That's true, right? They're extracting that from our passion, our knowledge, everything we know about why we're here, all that pur company purpose. And they're like, did you mean revolution? I was like, how did you do that? Like, that's, that's exactly what I mean. Like, and now I'm like, now I just go and stamp that on everything. And like, it makes sense. Right. And so that's the power of like a professional communicators brands to be able to like, again, they didn't, they didn't wrap that on the outside of us. Right. That was inside us. They were just able to, to bring it out and be like, this is what you mean. Right. And it was like, I don't know how you did that. Right. But it's, you know, that's a skill. That's what it means to make a, a powerful brand. And then when you know that you go around and be like, oh, cool, we're passionate and excited about new technology. We should make unbox videos just because we're excited about yeah. unboxing new gear, right? Yeah. Like it's like, that was very intuitive, but it makes sense in that framework, right? It makes sense about, that's why we're here. We love the newest gear. Like we want to pay, we want to see like, we, these are all about new possibilities, right? That's why we're attracted to BNR in the first place. So like unbox video makes sense in that marketing context, even though we're like, at this point, like unboxing Festool and like just buying rent, you know, like just getting stuff that we think is cool. But other times it's like an ABB robot or other times it's like this amazing 3D camera that we're playing with. Like, and those are, those are things that are like, are totally brand compatible. They, they, they fit with our company's purpose and they're entertaining and fun to make and fun to watch. And like, people appreciate them. So like, that's way more fun than like banging on cold calls where no one knows what you're talking about. Right. So yeah, that's been really powerful. And, and I love this topic, especially in industrial automation. Cause like a lot of these things, uh, as we've been talking about, kind of feel like they're stuck in the nineties and uh, there's like a lot of, a lot of powerful tools to just like, that are just lying around such as brand. Absolutely. No, I, I, I love what you guys are doing. Um, sometimes I can't watch the videos cause I then go out and see how much the stuff costs. <laughs> and then it's like, it's only 500 bucks, right? Like I can find a use for this thing. And you need to make a YouTube series. Like I did. That was my excuse. This is for my work. I need this for, for my I'm, job. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to convince Beth when we're done that I should just make another YouTube series and it's worth you know me accumulating all of this stuff. I feel like I know how it's gonna go, but I will report. It makes back. sense to me. It makes sense. Yes. Just send no. her the playlist from Loop and, and then she'll then she can get it. it. Maybe it'll be a series of reaction videos. I'll, <laughs> there I'll you send go. to you from her. There you go. We'll, we'll start with the eighty thousand dollar robot, and then it's it, it's all less expensive. Anchor point. From, Good idea. Absolutely. But no, so perfect. I appreciate it, uh, David. So I like to joke that this is our unsponsored audible segment um, in which I ask you for uh, for a book uh, recommendation and Vlad goes and uh, immediately downloads it for his uh, his <laughs> weekly audible download. But I know you talked about it a little bit before. Can you can you give us a, a book recommendation, please? Yes, um, I I got to recommend Shape Up. I talked about it as like one of the biggest inspirations uh, uh, directly to our, pro our engineering process and our development processes. Um, and that's at basecamp.com slash shape up, no hyphens or anything. Um, and you can read it the PDF for free. You can get it. You can get a hard copy. It's we give it to every new hire and, you know, like it's it's super important to what we do. And if any of these agile or software development are like really thinking deeply about like, how do you make new things? Um, shape up is a great place to, to start. Absolutely. No, no, I, I, I appreciate it. And, and I like all of the base. I, I enjoy all of the base camp, you know, books that they've put out uh, from remote work that it, it's crazy to think was back in 2008. Uh, through yeah, shape totally. Up through. I, I've, I've read a series of them and I cannot more highly recommend them. If you're thinking about getting into the remote work or the software engineering side of, uh, of the industrial automation. Um, and yeah. then my, my last question that I have for you, David, is, you know, we talked a lot about the amazing things that you guys are doing at Loop, but, you know, 
who should reach out to you, either, you know, customers or prospective employees who should reach out to you guys? Yeah, uh, I think one thing we became really comfortable with as we were working with Kinesis talking about brand is just really owning, like, this is what we're about, right? Like, we're not trying to convince anybody. We're not going to apologize. You know, we're not going to apologize about it. We're just like, respectfully, like, this is what we're here for. Like, and that's talking about like innovation, revolutionizing things. You know, like I've got this idea and I, you know, I have a sense of what's possible. I want to try things like anybody that has a mentality, whether that's like an engineer that's interested in working for loop, you know, clients or OEMs or equipment builders that like aspire to do that, or like have that attitude themselves, like those peers, like if we're peers in that way, like we need to hang out. Like we need, I don't, I don't care how, like, let's get on a zoom, come visit us, like talk to us, follow us on LinkedIn, like that kind of mentality. And we put that in our hiring videos too. Just like, if you're down with these big ideas and that sounds cool to you, like, let's find a way to work together somehow. Um, and so, yeah, I would say the best place to do that is um, on our LinkedIn loops. LinkedIn is really where like the most, the most of our stuff is put out and, and the place to follow along. So maybe, maybe some of those 24,000 followers can go over to loops little 1600 and make it bigger. So we'll be happy to meet you. But be careful. They put out unboxing videos and you want to buy the stuff. Yeah. It's but good. Be Yes. O only follow the, the loop LinkedIn if you want to see a bunch <laughs> of really cool stuff unboxed and a bunch of, you know, this generation and next generation ideas being talked about. If you, if you don't fall into those buckets, you may want to go uh, check out something else. Yeah. And, and I'll add to like, I didn't mention this, but we're kind of like, I, I kind of, I'm less militant. I'm out of the convincing business. Like if this sounds cool to you, like, let's hang out and do it. Like I, yep. I'm not trying to change anybody's mind or like, if this sounds horrifying to you, like I totally get it. Like, let's <laughs> not like, let's not try to, we can agree to disagree, like respects, yep. like, but um, you know, there's, there's enough people out there that kind of share that mentality that like, those are the people that we'll work with, you know, and absolutely our company will be whatever it'll be based on, based on that crew. Yeah, I, I love that. So Vlad, but before we uh, we wrap up and I ask people to uh, to rate us on all the podcast platforms, did you have any other questions uh, for David? I certainly did, but I think, uh, you know, I gave <laughs> you a... Back. You'll, you'll have to come back, yes. Gave you a bit more opportunity to ask your questions, Dave, this time. So <laughs> I think it was a really good conversation. I really, I want to give a shout out to uh, Sean Terrell who had recommended you, David, to come on this uh, on the podcast and thank you again for uh, for speaking with us and obviously thank everybody that's uh, that's tuned in yes. and uh, as they've mentioned we will be posting the episode also on all the normal podcast media mm -hmm. and uh, Dave if you want to give your usual spiel please go yeah ahead. Uh, we're, we're semi-professional we've done this now 29 times so we need to ask you guys to like rate us five stars on Apple podcasts because that that means something and to you, you know, give us the thumbs up and comment and subscribe to wherever you guys are watching. Vlad and I love doing this. We love being able to have guests on like David and find awesome sponsors like, uh, like Copia. So if you guys like what we're doing, like, please share us, uh, please share a little bit of love and be sure to interact with us in all of those other places. Um, until next week, we'll talk to you guys soon. Thank Bye -bye. you, everyone. Thank Thanks you, everybody. David. Thank Bye -bye. you.